Mama Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your T-Lo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you? Fine. We're full of coffee today. Yeah. And the weather is changing, and it's we're already chilly. having Christmas conversations now. <laughs> I know. Well, h- how is it November 18th I already? know, crazy. Anyway, I mean, we're already well, talking about ornaments. We got a ton of them Wasn't already. Halloween like uh, I know. two days ago? I know. Anyway. Um, yes, Thanksgiving is coming. You've, if you've been a long-time listener, you know we do the holidays up big, Shay Tilo. Although, uh, Thanksgiving, I'm really looking forward to not doing it much on thanksgiving because our family thanksgiving is uh that weekend so that all the cousins can come from out of state and all the in-laws and blah 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 um and that's a huge 30 person extravaganza yeah for which i will be providing a turkey gravy cornbread stuffing um it's amazing a cheesecake a carrot cake and um Vanilla cupcakes with chocolate frosting. Wow. And I didn't know you were making that. Josh walnuts. I make the same thing every year. Oh my God. That's a lot. With me for 20 (laughs) some odd years. That's a lot. Um, So, but our Thanksgiving, our Thursday is actually just the two of us at home. And you know, there was a time when I was like, Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, we have to do something. And I think it really that accelerated after my parents death where i was like oh my god we have to just do something every right. holiday and keep the, keep the tradition yeah going the on last you. few thanksgiving days uh was us at home and me trying to do something elaborate and i mean we had guests we had people over for dinner it wasn't yeah i shouldn't say it was just the two but, of us. but you were busy twice you know like crazy going crazy and cooking all this stuff twice no so, yeah. and um I have been, without overstating it, have been on something of a fitness and diet plan lately, and the results are kicking amazing. in. They're not amazing, <laughs> but they're working. And I really, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to do my usual thing of just resigning to the fact that I'm going to put on ten pounds over the holidays because uh, those ten pounds are hard to take off. So I, I don't think we're going to be as elaborate. I, I, like in the in last. I think last year I made like two pies just for right. us. You made a small version of what of you... Of a used, huge yeah, Thanksgiving. Which, which is still a lot of work for you. No, so. I'm not doing it. No. I'm not overdoing it. I refuse to overdo it. Uh, meanwhile, come back in a week and you'll hear how oh, yeah, I seriously. made like 10,000 whatever. But I'm, we're trying not to overdo it this year. But anyway, we have a huge uh, Thanksgiving, which I love. It's my favorite holiday. Uh, the whole family, we have people coming from New York, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and New Jersey. Yeah, and... from everywhere. And it, and it's nice. It's fun. It, I love it. Because, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's people I like to be around. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's fun. I hear these stories like, oh, my God, I have to be with my cousin or whatever. No, you know, we don't now, have. No, we don't. We don't have family fights. We don't have arguments about politics. There is no racist uncle in my family. <laughs> uh, we're lucky. That, so, yeah. We're, yeah, we're very lucky we're very that we're lucky, not that yeah. way. Um and then in three weeks, or yeah, three weeks from tomorrow, we're having a Christmas party here. Yes, because we do a couple of celebrations. We know. do the family cookie exchange yes, here, which, which is, is awesome. Everybody who participates bakes a dozen cookies for everybody who participates, and then we all swap, and then you get, you know, dozens and dozens of... Of cookies. Of yeah. cookies, variety, you know, different variety of that cookies you have for your to holidays. later. <laughs> oh, whatever. Anyway, but no, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and we People throw a People put a, a big, lot of work uh, into it. Yeah. Go we ahead. We throw a big party, and uh, there's lots of food for that, and I will be doing all my cooking for that, and of course, I'm going to probably bake 600 cookies um, which is why um, right. I, I'm trying to find shortcuts and, and to reduce <laughs> things uh, a little bit where I can. And you know what? I got to say, this is the best segue. So I'm just going to go right into it. Tis the season for sales and the perfect time to try America's best value meal kit. Add every plate to your holiday shopping list and snag a great deal on affordable, crowd-pleasing meals. Because honestly, this time of year... When you're doing so much uh, shopping and baking and planning parties and meals like that, something like uh, every plate coming along and just taking all that work out of you and on top of everything else, it's at an affordable price, which is not always true of a lot of these home uh, 
meal kit plans. But every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping, which means you can put the money you save towards gifts for family, friends, and even yourself. Every plate recipes feature high-quality produce and ingredients delivered right to your front door and ready to eat in six simple steps. Choose between 21, 21 weekly recipes in their ever-changing menu and even swap proteins and sides to your liking. Even Lorenzo was able to help me make uh, no, exactly, exactly. I mean, Lorenzo yeah. doesn't know how to no, do. No, I don't know how to do anything. A thing in the kitchen. So I, but a couple of times I was like, "These are so easy. Come here and do this." And I had him do like an entire meal. Oh yeah, because you get this beautiful uh, card or whatever. Yeah, with, with pictures, with pictures, and, and everything. So I'm very visual. And I'm like, I, all right. N- no offense to Lorenzo or anybody <laughs> else out there, but it's idiot proof. Uh, <laughs> and what you wind up with at the end is like restaurant quality right. meal, things and, that you didn't even think you knew how right. to make. And I just talked about that at the gym with with, with someone like how you save a lot of money because you don't have to buy big jars of anything. No. You get the exact amount um, you know, that, that you need. Or sometimes you don't make something you want to make because you don't have the ingredient. Uh, and then you get yes. everything. Yeah. So this year, savor more free time over the holidays with fewer trips to the grocery store and meals ready in 30 minutes or less. Don't turn to takeout when things get hectic. Instead, get every plate delivered. It's 58% cheaper than your average fast casual meal, and you can always feel good about what you're eating. This season, veg out the every plate way with the new veggie upgrade collection, an elevated twist on classic veggie recipes that'll help you incorporate more vegetables into your diet without missing the meat. Get everything you need for the week delivered at the same time with sides, desserts, and ready-to-eat snacks. To complement your weekly order, try Vanilla Delight Cheesecake, Sweet Kale Salad, Garlic Bread, and Protein Bundles to take things up a notch. And you know what they say, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, so if you're a fan of egg-centric dishes jazzed up french toast and more you'll love breakfast 24 7 every plate's new collection of family-friendly breakfast recipes you can whip up and enjoy any time of the day um so Get your first box for $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code TLO149. That's everyplate, E-V-E-R-Y-P-L-A-T-E dot com and entering code TLO149. That's up to a $110 value. Thank you, Everyplate. Yes, so it will be very, very festive. We also have uh, an ornament, uh, ornament exchange that we do with the family we do with the family at the same time we do the cookie exchange everybody brings an ornament you all agree not to pay more than ten dollars for the ornament and you put it in a little gift bag and um everyone picks one and then so it's a surprise you don't know what ornament you don't know, you're getting yeah. but uh it's sort of a yankee swap thing where um you you take turns and people can steal from each other so the the, the ornaments get passed around it's, it's fun it's, it's a, a lot, lot of fun and we don't get into fights and we don't get into fights because we're not that kind of family <laughs> So we so. we like whatever we well we we have good taste. <laughs> That's so, true. So all the ornaments are usually beautiful. And the thing is, um, you will never, never, ever, ever go wrong giving us an ornament, and it could be the ugliest ornament. Yes, it could exactly. be not my taste at all. I will still hang it on my tree every single year, and every year yes. I'll be like, "That's the ornament that so and so gave us." I mean, we have every some year we do it. Ugly There's, things that that or we, we I don't do. <laughs> No, there are family members no, listening I, going, I didn't wait, mean a given is, to that, us. is that the one that... No, but you have stuff that when you were single, you know, like you bought at CVS. No, but I mean, I'm know. talking about the gift right. stuff. Um, I, you never have to worry about whether it's my taste or not. The fact that you gave me an ornament, I'm always so touched by yeah, that. It I becomes agree. part of our Christmas and it always goes up on the tree. And if I really think it's hideously ugly, it will go on the back of the tree. <laughs> but I will still put it up and I will still say, so-and-so gave me that and I love that. No, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just the way I am when it, when it comes to... You can give me any sort of Christmassy yeah, no. host you're, gift or something Christmas like that man, and yeah. I will put it out. I will put it out. I will hold on to it. You, I, that's just the way I am. You love Christmas. All right. So, um, I don't love the White Lotus this season. No. And we're going to talk about that. Yes. Uh, but before, but I, and actually, Lorenzo's going to talk about most of that because I just barely finished the first episode and right. never went back to it. Um, so I don't have a lot to say. Um, uh, part of that had to do with the crown was coming out, and we had to, I had a lot of work to do taking notes and 
getting those recaps up in a timely manner. And we did it. We broke our record for getting all the crown recaps up in less than it was eight days this time. Insane, yeah. Two years ago when it, when the show dropped, I think it took us two weeks to get them all done. This is what happens when a streaming series drops and you want to do a high-end recap. You're not going to just do a few you notes. Need time. You're going to do yeah. 1,800 words explaining everything. And it all drops in the same week. People binge it, or on the same day, people binge it. And, you know, five days after it drops, you're already behind schedule. So that's why I didn't do The White Lotus. I am going to talk briefly about uh, 1899, which dropped yesterday on Netflix. Yay, yes, amazing. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Twitter meltdown mm-hmm. um, and why I kind of think everyone's being a little melodramatic about it. Oh, yes and no. And finally, with the sort of hook of the whole um, podcast, we're hoping, is going to be, and this is partially inspired by The Crown, but also inspired by um, nearly 15 years of writing about royal style, Uh, we thought we would take a look at the style of Princess Diana, which is a much, much covered topic, but um, we haven't covered it, and I feel like, you know, we're pretty good about talking about fashion and right. image making and everything so let's talk about her and why why people still talk about her um it, it we'll get into this but it can be very easy to dismiss diana's style a, as being very dated and a lot of it was but when you really get into the weeds and, and you really look at what she was doing uh, over uh, right. you know nearly 20 years um Every bit of her reputation is deserved right. as a style icon. And I think with, we'll talk about it, but the most interesting thing about her style uh, is that it's the evolution. You yes. Know? I you think can trace her yeah. life through yeah, her. Or, exactly. Yeah. But that's for later. Later. Lorenzo, let's start with The White Lotus. Here's what. I um, I found it really dull. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to finish it, but I... I my impression watching the first episode is that I didn't think anybody in that extremely fantastic cast right. was being utilized all that right. well. And the second thing is <clears throat> what made the White Lotus's first season so captivating was the way it unpacked white privilege in a uh, traditionally colonized space, which in this case was Hawaii, right. uh, which has become a resort and a vacation spot. And, you know, it it is a colonized space. You can't tell that story if everybody's in Italy. In Italy, spending it's, a lot of money sp- in one of the most expensive hotels in the world. So it's not <laughs> yeah. you're you're removing all this yeah. stuff about white privilege, and that really, to me, if you're not going to be unpacking white privilege, then what's the point of the white right. lotus? I don't see. You're just. It's just the love boat with assholes. Right. I anyway, do, I go. do feel that season one had this drastic divider. You know. Uh, and of two different type of people right. uh, in the same space, you know, one working and one having a good time vacationing right. or whatever. So I, th- I think, I think that that was very interesting. And, and the white Lord is one of, as usual, is one of those cases where the first season does so well that people feel the pressure, you know, money, money, money uh, to keep going when, you know, sometimes you should just do one season that that'll never happen. They but should have kept it at once. That'll never happen because, you know, I understand if you're behind the project, you know, uh, you want to make money, you, you you want more attention, and you want to keep going. Um, but I, I do believe that The White Lotus is one of those shows that I don't know if it needs or if keep can if it can keep going. Um, I mean, they already announced uh, season three. So what are they going to do? Another hotel and That's missing I mean. white it's, people? It's the love boat with Miserable assholes. people, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a shame because, as you mentioned, the, the cast is amazing. I mean, you have Aubrey Plaza, my God. Mm-hmm. And she's just lost. Yeah. Her lines are not funny. No. She, I understand that her character is, you know, a little miserable and, and unhappy. But still, I mean, right. it's fucking Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. <laughs> you can't give her some funny lines and... Um, and and I mentioned on Twitter that I said not even the hotel, which is an insanely gorgeous hotel, is the San Domenico Palace Hotel, which used to be a monastery, uh, is absolutely gorgeous. I, I, I We posted it as one of the lounges. Um, it's just insane. I mean, there are some scenes where they're having breakfast and you're just looking at that scenery. You know, it just it's incredible. But anyway, not even that is enough, obviously. Um, so... There's not much of a story there. Yeah, they're all miserable, but okay. And then somebody dies. Okay, well, that's pretty much it. 
And it's a waste of talent, as you said. And I'm 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 gonna say something here that probably people are not gonna agree with me or hate me, but I'm kind of tired of Jennifer Coolidge. Uh the way they're using her, her you know, her talent. Uh, I feel that she's kind of a joke now. Uh she We talked about this the other night. Yeah. And I I tend to agree with you. I I what makes or made Jennifer Coolidge such a captivating performer actress personality is was her un, her unpredictability. She mm-hmm. would take these roles in directions and you're like what only Jennifer Coolidge right, would have right, come right. up with this idea, you know. So you never quite knew where she was going to take a character or take a scene. There's a real sense of like a high wire act with Jennifer Coolidge when you watch her. It's that sense of the unexpected. And what they did, what Mike White did is let's bring her back and just make her do all the same things that she did last time. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. So it's like the Fonzie principle. It's like, well, you have a successful character that every, and then you bring them back and you just turn up the dials on everything that they did the first time and it's it becomes a parody the original it is a parody portrayal yeah, the so third it's episode, not fun yeah the third episode when she's crying i'm like all right n- nobody would cry like that i, I mean, didn't it, see it so i don't it, know it's way out of line here it's yeah. just too much it's just too much jennifer <laughs> and i love her and yeah. i think she's extremely talented but it she's just this don't bring her back and ask her to do the same thing yeah, and exactly. m- more of it. And bring her back and say, Jennifer, you're on your own. Go for it. And let her be whatever the hell she wants. And but- some characters are just dull. I mean, like Theo James, is, his character is like boring. to look at. I know, but boring. I know. Same, same with the, what's the other guy? Will Will Sharp? Yeah, yeah, same. I am actively annoyed by him. I find him just an annoying <laughs> presence on the He's screen. so handsome, by he's the way. He's very oh handsome. Oh, my God. He's so and he has a stunning body. I had to look him up. I was like, I need to know more about him because yeah. I, I didn't know much. And he's very intelligent. Apparently, he's also a writer, right? Director or whatever. Anyway, he's good. Um, everybody's great, but they don't have enough material. Uh, like the, what's her name? Serena Impachatore. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. The Valenti- Valentina, the hotel manager. She's awesome. Um, but again, not enough. Right. I just feel that like I, I watched the third episode and it, when it ended it, I was like, that's it. That's it. That's the episode. Right. Um, not a lot. Um, also Megan Fahey, um, also great. She's very, she's the only one that I'm paying attention and, and, you know, enjoying it. Um, anyway, I'm very disappointed. And as somebody said on Twitter, I'm trying very hard to like this season. And, and in my opinion, when you try that hard to like something, <laughs> you know, a TV show, I mean, it, it, it's failing. Then it, it's not giving. That's how I felt. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't try that hard. I mean, when you think about season one with, with Natasha Rothwell playing Belinda, I mean, I, I still, my heart still <laughs> breaks for Belinda. I mean, that character was absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, so you don't have moments like that anymore. You have, you know, uh, sex workers and drama and misery. Uh, like, like they don't know what to do with, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Haley Lou Richardson, her character, Portia. Right. Um, they don't know what to do with her. She's just miserable walking around and, and, and yeah. I'm not impressed, and I can't believe they're going to have a third season. And uh, I mean, I'll keep watching because it is beautiful to look at. Um, See, that's the difference between you and me. Yes, yes. That's why I haven't caught up on it, because I watched the first episode. I thought, this is not... Right. I don't think it's going to get better. And I have to admit, my instincts on this sort of thing tend to be very good. Right. It's very rare that I'll watch an episode and think, no, this isn't going to get better. And then I hear later that it did. I'm usually right. And I have After to say, after years I, of doing this, I was disappointed watching the trailer. Actually, I mean, I was watching. So was I. Yeah, actually. I was watching it, and I was like, "This does not look good." It didn't. But I was like, "I'll watch it. Let's see. Maybe it's just not good." You know. Yeah. Um. But we'll see. But you'll still watch something, and I'll be like, "No, I don't think this is going anywhere." And I would have gone back to the White Lotus if, for instance, you had told me it was fantastic, or right. I was hearing amazing right. things about it. But I'm not. No one's really talking about it like they did last season. Um, I need. I no- may still. Yeah. I don't know, but it really didn't capture me, and I have yet to hear any reason why I should go back to it. Right. Uh, for me, I'm watching. Um, are you done? I'm sorry. No, I- no, no that, that's it. I mean, yeah. the. Um, that's pretty much it. I'll, yeah. I'll keep watching it, but it's it's not not even close to the same level. Of, you know, season one. 
Sounds about right to me. Uh, 1899 dropped yesterday on Netflix. I've been waiting for most of this year for this to drop. Um, It wasn't going to be a show that we were going to recap. First, because it was all dropping on the same day. Right. Secondly, this is by the um, same creative team. It's, I don't, (laughs) maybe I'll pronounce their names right. Baran, Bo, Oder, and Yancha Frieza, which are a husband and wife team. And they created Dark. Yes. uh, Which I have raved about out several times on this podcast and and um i would never have recapped dark when it came out i found it right. a couple of years after it was uh, i think it or a year or so after it ended um it is a mystery box show dark was a mystery box show and um it was the most complicated mystery box show i had ever watched ever 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 and i've watched a lot of them um, As you mentioned on Twitter, it broke your brain. It something. broke my brain, and and the great thing about Dark was, and why I recommend it so much is, I uh, by the third season, it's three seasons long. I think it's ten episodes in each season, um, and the episodes are roughly an hour long. So it's a commitment, but it's not a major commitment. But you get to the third. I got to the third season of Dark, and I was like, I'm not even going to try. I don't even know what the <laughs> fuck is going on. I'm just going to let it wash all over me. And I did. And I swear that's what they wanted me to do because in the last two or three episodes, they wrapped up the story. I am still shocked at how well they wrapped up the story. I remember you story. coming to me and like, it was like a revelation. You're yeah. like, oh my God, I can't I didn't believe I think it. a yeah. mystery show could actually wrap things up as definitively as that one did, where it was like, no, I I had a million questions, and now I have no questions because awesome. they answered everything. Anyway, and Dark was a time travel show set in, in Germany, and uh, I'm actually doing it a huge disservice by even describing it that way. Um, but uh, 1899 is their follow-up series. It dropped yesterday. I have seen the first three episodes of eight episodes. I am not spoiling anything here, but I wouldn't even be able to. It would be so difficult to... <laughs> Um, but it's another puzzle box show, and I would war. I would suggest that it is probably more dense than Dark. Um, was and Dark was dense, right? Um, eighteen ninety nine is set in eighteen ninety nine. Supposedly, I don't know. Who knows? It is definitely one of those shows where or stories where you are right. going to question literally everything you see on on screen. So, yes, it is supposedly set in 1899 but that could change at any time like i said i'm only three episodes into it set in 1899 on a steamer cross atlantic steamer ship transatlantic steamer ship full of passengers who are headed to america and um uh, in typical puzzle box show it, I, I this show actually has owes an awful lot to lost uh very much in the structure of the show it's that everybody in the on the ship has some ridiculous ridiculously dark secret right convoluted backstory major baggage and so far each episode opens with one character's backstory much in the same way the first Mm -hmm. season of law well almost all the shows in lost uh, open that way um and the ship runs into some trouble on the sea and then it stalls and then it's stuck in a fog and then things start getting really, really weird. So I'm not really going to get into what it, what actually happens because honestly it's so bizarre. Uh, When dark came out, it was compared an awful lot to twin peaks. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is something very Lynchian about this, about uh, their style of, of television. Mm -hmm. However, um, unlike David Lynch, they will explain everything to you. It is a puzzle box show. So the the mood is very strange. The performances sometimes don't seem particularly natural. There right. is a moment in the first episode where it is so jarring. And this is what I mean where you're like, I after that moment, I'm not sure I can trust anything I'm seeing on camera. It's, it's right, that right. moment. I'm mimicking it for Lorenzo so he knows what I'm talking about. But I don't want to give it away. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, I love that sort of thing. However, I would not necessarily recommend this show to everybody because if you really, really like puzzle box shows, this is for you. But if you're frustrated by them, don't. Yeah. Watch well, it. that's it's the same thing with Dark and the same thing now with 1899. If you if you if you want to 
try if you're trying to figure everything out in the first 15 minutes then that's Forget not it. the show for you that's not that's really not the show for you you just have to keep going and um you know at some point you're going to be able to put all these pieces together and figure something out right and maybe not uh you know maybe you watch an entire season and you're gonna have to wait for the next season right to figure out what's going on but it's it's so intelligent it's so beautiful uh the and I'm sure Netflix gave them a lot more money now. Because- it's a huge international cast. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, there are no Americans in this cast at all. I don't all. think so, but but they, they speak several languages. Oh, I mean, I, I lost count of how many languages were being spoken. Which on, is on awesome, because it does It's also, I think, one of the mysteries of the show. It could be. Because my question is, what port did they leave where right. there are Danish people, German people, English people, yeah. Let's not give Chinese people? That's, this is the setup. It's yeah. not... Um, <clears throat> but in 1899, where would they have left from where they literally everybody right. on the ship is true, from a different true. country? This is what I mean. The, I sets, the, the sets are gorgeous. Oh. Absolutely gorgeous. The costumes, my God, they're perfect. I don't know how much... And of, the men are beautiful. I don't know how much of the show is um, is digital. How much of what I'm seeing of each scene is is are like the sets that they're on. Sometimes I'm like, is that backdrop digital? I can't tell. I'm, and this is not a criticism. My point is, if they built sets, those are some unbelievable right. mm-hmm. sets. And I do believe the deck of the ship is one complete set. And I think they use one of those huge 360 um, screens around it to make it look like right. wide open sea. Maybe the, um, the huge dining room, too. The huge dining room. Um, yeah. Uh, and it just, they did such a great job of like evoking the late 19th yes. century. The way everything is so yes. darkly lit. Yes. Um, it's all dark oiled wood. And um, if you're in, the, you know, in steerage and you're, or if you're working the, the boilers, you know, you're someone working down below, everybody's filthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas everybody, there's very much a Titanic thing going on where everybody up above is right. very wealthy and everybody down below is, is not. Um, uh, so the sets are gorgeous. The costumes are gorgeous. Um, as I said to you, I, I love that period of menswear. Right. I love the late 19th the coats, century yeah. for menswear. Those, those very structured tailored coats. With the buttons. Yes. Uh, very yeah, prominent buttons. buttons yeah, yeah. And then the cuffed pants and the, um, the cravats and the, the very trimmed beards and, and, um, yeah. and mustaches. It's just, it's just gorgeous. It's such gorgeous. a great it's period yeah. for menswear. Um, and th- I mean, dark wasn't like this, but for some reason there's a, shit ton of super hot men on this show like stop for a second pause for a second and then go look up the guy on imdb because i'm like who is that actor he is gorgeous um and for a split second i was like i knew that there was a part that the they were partners behind the show but i was like are they gay like i didn't know if they i thought maybe they were husband and husband team but no they're a husband and wife team um, just with a really good appreciation for it, it, yeah. hot men with interesting faces. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything is beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really love it. But if you are the type of person who gets frustrated by this type of show, then I I would urge you not to watch it because it will frustrate the hell out of you. On the other hand, if you're someone like me who's like, oh my God, I, yeah. can't, I am eating this up. Right. It's like the highest quality version of this style of show you can find right now. It, it it's absolutely gorgeous and very intelligent, sophisticated, which which I love. You know, well, when, it's when, that international cast, yeah, so yeah. you're getting all kinds of training and everything from yeah. various, you know. And if you schools. watch a lot of international shows like I do, you will recognize some of them from other shows, yeah. Netflix shows too. Yeah, um, it's probably one of the most diverse casts on television right now, actually. Um, so yes, I would, I would recommend 1899, but only if you like puzzle shows. I've only seen the first three episodes. I can guarantee Mm -hmm. when you, if you watch all eight episodes, it will probably end on some incredibly frustrating cliffhanger where you will have more questions than you had going into it. But that's the deal with these kinds of shows. And I usually watch all the episodes in one night, but this time I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just gonna pause here. Yes. All right, let's talk about Princess Diana. Yes. All right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, We don't talk about her much. We did a whole podcast devoted to her a couple of years back, or maybe a year or so back. 
Um, and that was it. That com- comprises the entirety of our coverage of Princess Diana. We don't cover her on our site. Why would we? We're a current site, not a not a nostalgia right. site. Um, but we know a lot about her. Um, and uh, part of that is just living through that period and being gays of a certain age. You, you followed what was going on with Diana. Right. But also it's from years and years and years of writing about fashion and style and the royal family, about their public appearances, about their uh, social calendar. You can't write, we, we've talked about this before, you can't write about that stuff. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about because, oh my God, people will come on you like a ton of bricks if you right. get a fact wrong. I also showed the crown. Um, kind right, of like- so yeah, we, we, we've always been fairly knowledgeable about Diana, enough to the point where we could spend half a podcast talking about her but we've never talked about her style extensively mm-hmm. um which again we're uh, we're not using a visual medium this is just us talking so th- this may or may not work but i think when you talk about princess diana and you talk about her style even people who aren't into fashion can picture a few of her looks oh, i mean yeah. the revenge dress is probably the most famous yeah, dress of yeah. the 20th century there's the travolta dress you know where she's dancing with john travolta her wedding gown is probably the most famous wedding gown of the last hundred years um she i i think part of the reason she became an icon well she you couldn't she couldn't not become an icon because um she was a young woman with a lot of money making public appearances so she bought a lot of clothes yes and she was in that role from the time of her she was what 19 or 20 when she started and she was 36 or 37 when she died um it was hundreds and hundreds and i'm pretty sure we can safely say thousands of public appearances and probably thousands of outfits um diana liked fashion but at a certain point in her princesshood, uh, like so much of the trappings of her royal life, she did find it uh, a trap for herself that she needed to get out of a couple of times. She didn't like being seen as someone who was frivolous and just spent a lot of money and, and shallow. And um, she, you know, later in her life, she started uh, using her fashion in a different way. And I think that's partially what makes her so interesting as an icon is that you can trace the um, arc of her public life through mm-hmm. her clothes. She did tell the story of her life through how she dressed. Yeah, I, I believe that. When she started out, it was inadvertent. And then I would say fairly early on, within the first two or three years of her marriage, she figured out how to do it in a much more deliberate way. And I think um, if you read or listen to our coverage of uh, the current royals like Kate or Meghan, we will have we have expressed a lot of frustration with the Royal press and the Royal fashion press, uh, because they wildly overstate how much Kate and Megan are sending messages in they're the always paying and, homage and to how they're Diana, paying yeah. homage and this and that and the other thing. And it really drives me nuts. And a lot of that stuff is simply for clicks and yes, whatever. Yeah, We're all yeah, in the same business. Right. I get it, but it's a, it's a bullshit story that, that, um, gets repeated an awful lot. And, and I think part of it is because Diana actually did that in a way that Kate and Megan never have and never will. Diana actually did send mm-hmm. messages through her clothing. And the reason she did that is because she was a very, very lonely and unhappy woman who had no outlet to tell people what was going on in her life, so it came out in her clothes. That is not true of Meghan and, and Kate. Even in Meghan's unhappy period as a royal, she didn't really have time to, to formulate some sort of plan through her clothing. And uh, Kate, I I so firmly fight against this idea of Kate doing this, these messages and these homages. I'm not saying she's never done it, but I don't think that's the type of woman Kate is. I, I don't mean to be mean here, but she's not that deep. Um, she's not. And Diana was, let's just say. Diana was a shallow person, but she had a lot going on. And she had a lot she wanted to tell the world about herself. Um, and a lot she wanted to express about herself. And a lot of that is, you know, if you know her childhood and everything and how repressed she was in her childhood and how fucked up her family life was and everything, she never, ever felt that anyone was ever listening to her. Right. I do... 
I, I don't agree because we read that too much. And, you know, everything uh, Catherine wears is always like, oh, she's paying homage here to she's whatever. Wearing she's wearing yellow. She's wearing whatever. Right. So she's paying homage to that dress that Diana wore, blah, 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 blah. Right. There was always like every single time. I'm like, no, I don't think so. No. I do think that Catherine um, kind of um, uh, gets a, a lot inspired by Diana's journey in fashion. I think... Um when you see similarities in things that Kate's wearing to things, similarities to things that Diana wears, wore, there's two reasons for that. One is that royal style is very restrictive, so it's going to return to a lot of the same right. styles yes. and elements, Peter Pan collars and whatever, um, little, trim little suits, pleated skirts, whatever. Those things come back again, so do the hats. They come back again and right. again and again. I've said this before, you could peg every public kate outfit to something princess Anne wore when she was a young woman if you wanted to that's because royal style repeats it's restrictive it's conservative by nature it's traditional by definition so yeah there are going to be similarities you'll find things that look like something the queen wore in the 50s or something diana wore in the 80s or something Anne wore in the 70s or margaret wore in the 60s they repeat um, and so you'll see that repetition. The other reason why um, sometimes it looks like Kate might be um, uh, emulating Diana is because Diana really was an icon and she is still influencing fashion. Right. And so things that Diana brought into popularity in the 80s and 90s come back into popularity now. Things like polka dots or uh, Peter Pan collars or pie crust collars. We were just talking about that the other day, you know, because Lizzie Kaplan was wearing one. Or, um, you know, um, shoulder pads and, and stuff like that. Right. That stuff comes back Kate wears it because it's in style, and then everyone thinks she's emulating. Diana. I do think that she emulates in a, a little bit. Uh, like she wears Catherine Walker, which is a little weird. <laughs> I, th- I and I think that actually partially fuels a lot of this. Yes, she does, but she doesn't wear Catherine Walker's stuff that All looks the like the yeah, stuff I that agree, Catherine Walker. That's more about the label. She wants that connection because well, she's the Princess th- of Wales. That's my point. There. But she's not wearing the same dresses. No, but she wants the connection. She wants the connection. I yeah. well yeah. No doubt about that with that one. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about Diana's style. When she first hit the scene, uh, when she was dating Charles, there was not much to talk about. Uh, she was a kindergarten teacher and... Um, All about sweaters and... <laughs> yeah, cute little sweaters and stuff like that. And Diana um, didn't grow up in... She didn't have an extravagant lifestyle growing up. And um, I don't think she had a ton of money at her disposal when she was in that brief period when she was single and um, living in London. So none of those outfits were much to talk about. Um, It was once she started dating Charles more actively, Mm -hmm. then you started getting into what became, uh, what is known as the Sloan Ranger look, which is named after Sloan Square. It's a specific type of style. It is not, the press often misstates that uh, Sloan Ranger wear is uh, what the aristocrats wear, Mm -hmm. what what the upper, upper crust wear. But, Actually, it wasn't. It was more for the upper middle class and the uh, and the you know lower upper classes. Right. It was aspirational. It was a striving style. And the closest thing I could uh, compare it to is uh, the preppy style, right. which erupted around the same time in America, which was aspirational and was less about what actual one percenters wore at the country club and more about what people thought they wore. So the yeah. s- the Sloan Ranger thing is sort of the same thing. creating an image. It and- was less about what duchesses were wearing and more about what right. uh, strivers thought duchesses were wearing. So... Um, but here comes someone who uh, uh, adopts this style, this sort of preppy, aspirational style, and she hits one of the top spots in uh, in the job. She becomes the Princess of Wales. So then it, the Sloan Ranger look, by definition, became less less upper middle class and started becoming seen right. as something right. that was, you know, for the upper classes alone. It's still a look. It's people in England still talk about the Sloan Ranger look. It never truly went away, much like preppy styles never truly went right. away. But if you were to define it uh, back during this period, it would be things like the little velvet, you know, jackets that she was wearing. It was things like the pie crust collars. Um, the hats, the little hats with the veils and the feathers on them. She was getting all of that stuff from that crowd. 
Um, and and if you pay attention to the looks, um, well, first of all, it's interesting that in the beginning she used to shop for herself. Like some of the looks she bought, them. you could tell. And uh, I don't mean that in a bad tell, way, no, but, but it, that wasn't you, like yes couture clothing. No, that she no, was she wasn't. You know, asking designers to to you know dress her yet right uh so you can you can see there's sort of like i don't know like not shopping malls but more like a, a, off the know. rack yeah kind nice of nice like, off the yeah. rack and diana always did have fairly good taste um yes it was the 80s and she she got into some wild stuff but when you really look at the length when you go i mean go to one of those vogue slideshows where they have like right. 200 pictures of diana and go through the whole thing um her, she has way more hits than misses. Even 35 years later, you're looking at things and you're right. going, well, that still looks great, you know? It, uh, it's interesting that her first looks in the beginning, um, when she didn't quite know how to perform or how to act in public, it, it, it's funny how you can see that the looks kind of like uh, reflect that. She's very covered. She's very... Well, like, her first public look, yeah. her boobs were practically falling out of it. That was a lesson she learned very right. early on. And then she covered up quickly, you know, cover herself up quickly. That um, was, um, I think, a response. Again, you can track the arc of her life through her clothing. She met, met Charles. He took her out on her first public engagement and she wore this black gown with an unstructured bust and she was well endowed and she almost basically almost fell out of the top of the dress. There's pictures of it. It became something of a scandal. There was also the early picture when she was, uh, maybe it was the announcement, no, it wasn't the announcement of their engagement, but the one with the see-through skirt. Where, where Yes. So she had a couple of wobbles early in the beginning. And not only that, but the press was, um, uh, because, oh, Jesus, this was what, 1980? The press would make comments about her baby fat or whatever. Um, and, you know, she was in the nascent stages of developing an eating disorder. So she was being criticized. She was being accidentally exposed. And her response to that from a stylistic point was to suddenly go from these sort of disco dresses, basically these debutante ball dresses to um, very covered up the pie crust collars, the the very, very high necklines, the sleeves down to the wrist, you know, the below the knee skirts and everything. And it was these very, and this is a lot of this period, this like from the time about of about William and Harry's birth around the, to uh, just before the marriage started really falling apart, which would be like the so like 82 to 88. This period is um, where she wears some of her wildest in most insane outfits, most dated 1980s. Although when you say that, when I say dated, no one else was dressing like that. That's not what was on the cover of Vogue at the time. It's dated because she's, it's very bright colors or right. it's, you know, taffeta and velvet or whatever. It's it's shoulder pads and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the kind of stuff you were seeing on racks at, in Macy's. It was still her own personal style. She was looking to specific designers yes, yeah. to give her a specific look. They, everybody talks about that, that she she was dressing for herself, literally, uh, like in the sense that... Creating a role. Creating um, a style for her right. that worked for her. I mean, she was a tall woman. You know, there were yeah. things about her that required certain, you know, choices. Um to uh, you know, to achieve whatever she wants. That's right. what I'm saying. Um, and she had the help of uh, Vogue editor uh, Anna. What's Anna Harvey? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she asked for her help because she felt that she she wasn't getting it right. And you know, and a lot of people say that you know, although um, Diana every now and then said she didn't care about fashion, she did. Oh, care. she did. She did care about fashion. She uh, she would read the newspaper the next day to, to find out what they thought about what right. she wore. Um, yeah, that she had that sort of obsession with how yeah. she was, you know, perceived. Um, so you can trace that arc of her marriage where, um, when things were really bad, uh, when she was um, had a raging eating disorder and she was self harming and throwing herself downstairs and and trying desperately to get someone to notice her. That is when she was wearing the most insane outfits that you right. remember from the 1980s. The, the dropped waist, the taffeta waist, and the, the massive shoulders and the big floppy bows and all that stuff that really hasn't aged all that well. I really feel that was when Diana was um, screaming her loudest through mm-hmm. her fashion. She was completely covered up, and yet the fashion was so loud and colorful and almost clowny in nature. Uh, that you couldn't miss her at all. 
Uh, so there was this very fascinating, she was, you know, shy die, you know, coming out with her head downcast and looking unhappy all the time. And yet she was coming out in these total clown outfits. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but the, I mean, the eight, 80s fashion. They were loud. They were very yeah. loud. They were very loud. She broke option. a lot of yeah. style rules. Like right. when you, you when you see her negotiating her role, uh, um, when she was doing a lot of that Sloan Ranger stuff, Sloan Ranger is as was an aspirational look. So a lot of it do, did sort of tie to royal style. It was sort of a yeah. low rent mm-hmm. version of royal style. So she was wearing the like the fascinator hats with the veils down and everything like that. A lot of what she was trying to do was based on stuff that her for you know that <coughs> the queen. And Margaret and Princess Anne had done in decades prior. Right. That's why I'm always saying you could trace all of that. But it's even all on that, a they, they talk about how she changed the way she wore her hat, and you know how every, you know, yes, every woman in in England, you know, they wear a hat uh, for occasions, but certain occasions. She but, brought in those broad, but, brim but hats. she brought her own yeah. style of how she wore it. I mean, down to how she wore it, how she placed it on her head yeah. i mean everything was like all right this she is also how we're wore gonna do her it. tiaras a specific yes. way she didn't wear it the same way that the other royal women did which was on top of the head she wore it closer to a headband style which was you know the 80s a lot of women were wearing headbands um she used to wear chokers around her neck yes. her head as a headband stuff like that where she would play with the tools of royal style and remix them in a way that that either um, Which is very telling when you think about it, you know. I, this is what I mean. This is Diana really was telling the story of her life through her clothing, and everybody expects Kate to do the same thing. And I, listen, I'm going to get you all mad. She ain't that deep. She never was that not deep. Not only that, that's not who Kate was. Not only that, there's a huge difference here uh, between someone who wasn't happy where she right. was and someone who's very happy where She's she is. Very content with her <laughs> yes, life. Exactly. She doesn't want Can't you to wait. know about it. Can't <laughs> wait for that crowd. Okay. So. So, right. Kate has no need to send no. messages. Oh my God. She's clapping. I love my life. I married a prince. Oh, I live in a oh, castle. She's, she, you know, she has a calendar and I'm she's marking the date. After three yeah. kids, no, I'm sorry, she's not sending any no, messages. She, she is sorry. Like I know there's a lot of Kate fans out there. I don't hate her, but no, I just I, don't think she's. Diana had depths to her that, and that's why Diana was so ill-suited to royal life was because she had too many depths to her. Right. She and, had too many emotions, and it's a whole different attitude towards where she is right what she's supposed to do right. so that changed everything including the way you dress exactly Catherine's very content and she dresses like a very content woman yes very uh, happy and good and for I'm her happy for her <laughs> yeah, you very go, happy girl. for her but um there won't be museum um, displays of Kate. I mean, maybe there will in thirty years. I don't know. But but it, I I I mean, there are certain looks that Diana wore, like the uh, color block um, look uh, when she went to India by Catherine Walker. That she wore that purple right. uh, and red look. Um, that's just. I mean, things like that. Right. They're iconic. I mean, when you think about it, even the hideous dress, wedding dress, you know. <laughs> <laughs> which it was is, horrible. It influenced uh, weddings, yes, wedding dresses. Yes. The entire wedding dress industry for the next 10 or 15 years, I mean, that was the dress. Um, just, okay, so then we get into the 90s and right. her style changes again. Um, Skirts get, get shorter. Everything gets, all the fuss gets stripped out yeah. of her outfits. It's a much, much cleaner look. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she starts adopting way more uh, business suits. Right. You know, skirts, skirted business suits, uh, very simple, tailored business suits, but usually always in pastel with a colors. Twist. Uh, yes, usually with very nice buttons and details yes. on it, that sort of thing. And part of that was because she wanted to be seen as someone who was working. But um, also fashionable. You know. But also fashionable. Exactly. She wasn't going to buy an off the rack no. suit. She was going to have in- incredibly gorgeous suits made for her. So that's when she wore a lot of Catherine Walker, by the way. A lot of. Um, right. You know. And Versace was making yeah. her some suits yes. at that point. Oh, Versace made the pink one she wore. Yeah, that gorgeous pink suit. Yeah. Um, which has this beautiful scallop detail on yeah, the buttons, yeah, yeah. which is really, really nice. Um, and again, she's using fashion to send a message to say that, you know, it wasn't just that she was free of her marriage. Um, and that she was, um, it's interesting because as soon as the marriage was over in the public's mind, starting from the separation, um, she stopped covering up. Right. And I guess you could see that as a, she's out on the 
prowl she's looking for a second man or whatever i mean that's probably I think true it's fantastic when you but think about i think it. it's also she felt she felt she didn't have to cover herself up right. anymore she didn't have to be walking you know a step you behind have any some doubt prince about how she used fashion i mean the moment when her husband is being interviewed and she goes out to an event and wearing that strapless dress that the everyone, revenge dress yeah the yeah. revenge dress um you know, it it was designed by Christina uh, Strimbolian, by the way. Fantastic dress that she had it in her closet for like three years or so. And she never wore it. Never wore it. Night. And she was like, you know, fuck it. I'm wearing this tonight. She did the same thing the night, not the same exact dress, but the night the Panorama interview yes, aired. Yes, yes, yes. She wore... Um, Asaguri. Yeah, um, Jacques Asaguri gown. It's like a purple gown with an open back. Um, it wasn't like super sexy, although it was more revealing than the normal royal gown. It was just a spectacular eye-catching. You couldn't take your eyes off her look. And I want to briefly touch on The Crown for a second. We've right. already done a whole podcast about this season of The Crown. We've, we've recapped all the episodes. But it was The Crown, that this season of The Crown, that spurred on, why don't we talk about Diana's style this everyone, week? Everyone, everyone. Yeah. Because No, I mean with this podcast. Yeah, right, right. Because I just want to briefly say... I don't think there's so much about the crown that they don't get about Diana that they just don't get right or they decided not to do. Right. They the costume designer whose name I don't have in front of me did a wonderful job of recreating her looks or reinterpreting her looks right. using similar fabrics and that vintage sort of stuff, thing. Vintage fabric, so yeah. in terms of accuracy, you can look at those costumes and go, yes, they are accurate to Diana. But the crown never truly gets how Diana used fashion. Like, yes, they they recreated the revenge dress, and it's the exact same dress. It looks exactly the same. They restaged the moment so that everything... Have you seen the side-by-side -side video? Right, right, right. Every movement but she makes. But there's no story behind There's no story behind the dress. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you? You, yeah. It's why recreate all the images we've seen of her getting out of that car? You don't need to do that. Right. You need to show us why she did this. Yeah, I, Anna Harvey actually. You can find on YouTube. She gave interviews. She was right. She was with Diana, um, working with her. For, you know, I think they were together when she was uh, you were getting dressed. Right. Uh, and they talk about like how Diana said, you know, let's be I don't naughty. I got, Naughty or wicked, I don't know, right. something like that. Uh, tonight, let's just do it. Right. Um, that's the story. Uh, somebody was there allegedly, yeah. and, and that Why was not said. Yeah. Show the her trying that dress on, and you know, giggling over the idea of it. Uh, this is uh, not to get too back, too far back into the weeds of the crown, but they were so determined to depict Diana as this sad sort of slightly crazy woman during this period. And I'm, I'm, I watched the whole season. I'm like, yeah, but she was dazzling the world mm. in the 90s she was out on red carpets and going to events and she people were completely dazzled by her during this period so this idea I, every scene of her she's like on the couch or clicking remote sadly in a sweater and i'm like yeah but that's not my image of diana right. in the 90s diana well, in the 90s the whole story was about how she'd come out of her shell yes she raised her hemline she's showing off cleavage they didn't do any of that. And and a lot of people talk about when you think about it, there is very little footage of her actually speaking. Speaking because she, and she knew that yeah. it, she was a visual image. When you think about Diana actually talking, you think of the panorama interview yeah. or you think of those moments, right. but not like in general. Or the talk, wedding. Yeah, or talking about something in general. Uh, you see her you don't greeting see her people, speeches. Yeah. getting out of cars. So your, your whole perception and visual of her, it's all about how she looks right getting in and out of place she understood that yes and she understood that and and she talks about like it got to a point her friends or whoever dressed her talks about how she understood that all right i have this very important mission here and so in order to get the attention you know i'm gonna look you know right look a certain way you know dressed a certain way right and, and she did she yeah. did uh that's why she's you know every time you see a picture of her she looks incredible. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not the right look, but it's still, you know, something That's that makes you thing. stop. Yeah. Even even the, the most clownish 80s fashion that she wore, you'll stop and look at it. 
you know, you'll because there's something about it that that will stand out to you, I mean, or that about, will be specifically her or whatever. She talks about wearing jewelry and, and necklaces and whatever, so that the kids would play with it while she's, you know, right when she was doing engagements, she yeah, would wear like dangly I, jewelry and stuff it, like that. It, that's that's how uh, specific she was yeah. about everything she wore. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't. Is there anything else? I think we pretty no, much I, touched on it. I just thought we were watching the crown and i was like boy they really don't get how she used fashion no no i do think she's a you know you may question it but i do think she's a style icon i think she's absolutely she's a legend when it comes to fashion and i just oh i'm sorry go ahead because when when you use fashion to uh to obtain something whatever that is uh then you clearly understand yeah, yes, your role. exactly. When you use it the way she used fashion, mm-hmm. you're on, you're operating on a high level. I, we didn't talk about um, some of her most iconic looks were street fashion looks late in her princesshood. Right. Like we're talking the spandex shorts <laughs> and the oversized <laughs> yeah. tops and everything like that. The like the the Virgin Atlantic sweatshirt. And sometimes I look at those pictures and I am just like, I cannot believe she literally walked out of Buckingham Palace wearing that. The American flag uh, jacket or, or bumper jacket, whatever yeah. she wore. Or the, um, the, she went to the polo match and she had um, a, a British Lung Association sweatshirt over an oversized men's blazer over a pair of jeans <laughs> tucked into cowboy boots I with know. a baseball cap on. And it is an iconic look that she looks amazing in. And I don't think anybody else could pull off the big puffy red jacket, which they recreated that in right, the right, crown right. with the baseball cap and the, and the, um, you know, you may. She just had a knack for putting right. together looks and she understood. Uh, this is a cliche, but uh, the reason it's a cliche is because it's true. Uh, she understood her body. Um, and Diana, she certainly didn't have a difficult body, but she had a body that needed considerations, not least of which because she was very tall. Right, right. Uh, she had broad shoulders. She had um, big hands and feet, and she had a big head. And I'm just saying, this is what editors have said about her. I'm not. This is not a criticism. But she figured out how to dress right. all of that. That's why she has these very square-shouldered suits right. that go down to these very tapered skirts because she creates a perfect triangle. And, and then she wears a broad-brimmed hat over it. And it's just... It is the silhouette of the nineteen eighties. You know, um, which is you know, if you think about it, it's a great way to uh, it. It's a lesson here, and it's a great inspiration that you find what works for you. I agree, and then you you know you you create a style, you create a, a, an aesthetic that works for you. and, yeah. you, and you. you that's she was what, operating yeah. on a high level. Yes, she yeah. understood her body. Mm-hmm. She understood how she looked in photographs. She understood what was expected of her. And on top of all of that, she understood how to play with it, right? And um, uh, upturn it, or or overturn it, or right. or t- give it a twist, or something. She was a savant when it came to right. fashion. And you know, you made a difference. You know, you're an icon when when you know someone creates something, you know, and and pay you know they pay homage to you like for example the uh, like you have grace kelly and your may bag so you have the lady dior bag you know yeah they just reissued the lady dior bag yeah, which so was her bag because she used to uh wear a lot of dior and uh gucci actually she wore a lot of yeah. gucci bags too but anyway so there's a lot i mean like towards the end of her life it was major major mega designers like like versace like Hua, <coughs> dior uh, Gucci, all the big names of the all 90s. the big, big, big names. Valentino, they all loved her. Of course, they did. Yeah, she had the build of a, a model, and right. she had um, a fashion editor's understanding of fashion. So, how could they not love her? Um, imagine what she would have been like. She'd be in her sixties now. Imagine. I know. I think about that. The fashion she would have worn, yeah. and um, she'd probably be. Um, on her third divorce by now, yeah, knowing her because she didn't matter. make good choices. <laughs> yeah, but she'd be, <laughs> but she'd glamour, be fabulous she'd and be glamorous. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. And she'd probably be living in New York right now. Yeah, um, yeah. Some, oh, somewhere she, here in she'd have gotten the hell out of absolutely England as soon as her kids were grown. Um, so that's it. Just wanted to touch on one of the biggest fashion icons ever, and she probably will remain so yeah. for well, a Di- good time to come. Right. Diana's coming back next season for, the, you know, the crown. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll see more They've fashion. They've taken things right up to her death. Yeah, So I, I think agree. she probably dies in the first few episodes next season, and then it deals with the fallout of that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just thought we would give our take on, on her and mm-hmm. why she still resonates and why... 
it's wrong and maybe a little unfair to constantly compare her daughters and uh, daughters-in-law to her because they're not. They're not. They're not operating on the same level. No. They're they're not operating on the level she was, and they don't have lot the life that she had. Like right. Like I like we said, Kate's very happy with her life, and Megan. Um, I gotta say, having covered her now for about seven years, Megan truly doesn't give a shit about fashion. She utilized it fairly well as an actress because she had to, but it is so clear mm-hmm. that she has no interest in it now. She's always well dressed. I mean, don't don't take it. I small, agree. She know. doesn't dress like shit, but um, she is has kept it so minimalist, right. so so cal casual. Right. Um, the, and I think this is honestly why I, I don't think her royal style was actually very good. I think she never truly found her niche there. And it's because that sort of style didn't appeal to her. Kate, are you kidding me? She was practicing that stuff when, when she, she was, was six years, years old. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, come I mean, on. I mean, there's the reality here of that one was born in the country where, you know, she grew up with that. Right. Wanted to be that. Right. The other one happened to just stumble. She across. landed into it well yeah. into her 30s. Kate, if no, no, you know, whatever else you can say about Kate, she pretty much knew she was going to be a royal wife by her early 20s. Um, and Megan didn't. So she had her own approach to fashion and. You know, even around the time of her marriage to Harry, even before her marriage to Harry, you could tell looking at what she was doing, she really wanted to get more into philanthropy, charity work and advocacy. And she kind of was getting away from being a celebrity. She would have gotten away from that life eventually. And the major difference here is that Kate and Meghan, from the start, they knew how they had to present themselves. That wasn't Diana the case with Diana. Not no. know. She and learned. Helped her. She learned through the you know the whole trial and error. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, there's a major difference. That's here. why I don't think they should be compared. Right. Uh, and when you notice her wear, you know, one especially Kate. When you notice Kate wearing something that might have been something Diana wore, well, it probably was something Margaret wore too, and Anne wore, right. and Elizabeth wore, because that's how royal style works. All right, I think we have talked this one to death. Yeah. So, once again, kittens, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Until then, take care of yourselves. Um. Oh, have a happy. Well, no, we should have the next one out Probably, before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, um, we'll save your our our, yeah. our well wishes until the, until then. But love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye bye.